We'll get to episode 208 in just a moment, but before we do, I'd like to ask for your support of I Can't See You. If you're shopping at Amazon.com this holiday season, please use my affiliate link. You can do so by going to ICan'tSeeYou.com slash Amazon. That'll take you directly to Amazon.com's homepage. Shop as you normally do. Check out as you normally do. It doesn't cost you anything more, and I do earn a small commission potentially. Again, that's ICan'tSeeYou.com slash Amazon. Thank you so much for your support. I really do appreciate it. From Studio B in Swarthmore, this is the I Can't See You podcast with David. It's like blind people for dummies. Hello there, and welcome to episode 208 of I Can't See You. My name is David, at David Benj on all the socials. I really do appreciate you joining me for this episode. And I've got a few things to talk about, maybe even a few more than normal. And I'm going to start off by saying I hope that you can deal with my voice. It's a little funny. I'm recording this on Friday afternoon. I had hoped to record it on Thursday afternoon, but I had another podcast interview scheduled for Thursday night, and I wanted to make sure I still had some sort of voice to do that with. And that was for episode 54 of White Canes Connect. We talked to Chris Westbrook, who is part of the technology team at the NFB of Pennsylvania, and I'll talk about that a little bit later. But I do appreciate you joining me for this episode. And as usual, during football season, I'm going to lead off with the fantasy football. (laughs) And and I'm going to lead off by saying, I know I mentioned a few weeks ago that Frank has been changing his team name in one of the leagues. It's in the All Blind League. And his team name this week, I absolutely love. And I was texting with him earlier today, and I told him so. But this week's name is the Buckeye Hairless Pugs, and all of his teams have to do with pugs because he loves pugs, and his family has owned pugs. So uh, Buckeye Hairless Pugs is a throwback to a team from last year, the Buckeye Hairless Nuts, that was run by Janine Stanley and her sister Jennifer, uh, who sadly did not come back for this season. But it was my favorite name of all time as far as fantasy football teams go. So as far as the results this week, I won in both leagues. I'm at the top of both tables, the full all-blind football league. I'm at the top, and I've clinched a playoff space, which is great. Uh, but I am playing playing Brian this week, and I'm already losing, and I have a less than 50-50 chance that I'm going to win. So we'll see what happens there. My tight end didn't get me any points in last night's Buffalo game. I had Knox, and he did nothing. Uh, in the other league, I'm at the top of the all-blind division, and I believe I'm a game up there, too. I might be two games up there. So I'm pretty comfortable there, although I don't think I've clinched a playoff spot yet, and I guess I should never say I'm comfortable anywhere because who knows what could happen in any given week, right? So I went 2-0, and and I was <laughs> I was texting with Brian Uh, on Monday night, or maybe I emailed him, I don't remember. But I was watching the Monday night game, and the person who I was playing had uh, Harris from Pittsburgh. And (laughs) I was watching the game, and when uh, they came out for the second half, the sideline reporter says, and, you know, Harris is going to be out for the remainder of the game. I jumped up out of my chair, and I put my arms up in the air, and, and Liz looked at me and said, what's going on? I said, the guy that's the running back that I was worried about because I was only ahead by 20 or 25 points or something 
he's out for the rest of the game. And I ended up winning by, I don't know, 10 points, nine points, something like that. So that all worked out for me. And I always feel bad when I get excited that somebody got hurt. Because sometimes it goes the other way, and it's not a great feeling. And I'm sure for that guy, it wasn't a great feeling either. Obviously, he was in some sort of pain and and couldn't play. In hockey, I won, but I remained in fourth place. And things are going great this week, but it's very close in every category. So even though I'm up 9 nothing now, everything is within a few points and... Um, or a few goals or a few assists or whatever whatever the category may be. So that could go any which way by the end of the weekend. So we'll see how that all plays out. But overall, it was a good fantasy week for me. The next thing that I wanted to talk about last week, but I just didn't want to go on longer, and I've got a lot of short segments this week, so I'll mention it here. And I don't quite understand what's going on with all the shortages of stuff. And We've had an issue. I've been on, since I had my first cornea transplant, I've been on a medicine called Durazol. And earlier this year, I got switched to the generic because they couldn't get the the actual name brand. And the generic is much cheaper. I I think with my insurance, I pay 60 for the Durazol. I, I pay 10 or 20 for the generic. So I had switched to that when they couldn't get the actual Durazol. And I've been taking that. And... Now both of them can't be found anywhere. And we were scrambling, and when I say we, I mean Liz, was scrambling to find someplace that had it because I was worried that I was going to run out. And and what Durazol is, it's a steroid, and it's to help prevent uh, rejection of the tissue. So obviously I just had the other cornea transplant, the the same eye, but the, the new cornea transplant back in April. So I've been taking this... Up until this year, I was taking it twice a day. And then right before things started to go south, before I had the transplant, it got bumped to three times and maybe even four times before the surgery. And then since the surgery, I've had to take it four times a day. And <laughs> and it, I, I can't get over that I cannot remember to take it unless I put a reminder in my phone. So throughout the day, I put these reminders in. And as I say this, I did not put the reminder in today because I had an eye appointment, which I'll talk about in a second. So I have to put the reminders in, and I usually do it, uh, take the drops every four and a half hours or so. And it works out because I remember to do it, and then I, uh, you know, clear the, clear the reminder, and I'm good to go till the next time. So we were scrambling to find this medicine, and, and I was at a different appointment. I was at my glaucoma appointment a couple of weeks ago, and Alice, who was the person who does the preliminary stuff, takes my eye pressure and tells me to read the chart, which of course, I, as I said, I couldn't, and it was finger counting and so forth. She had told me that there is a Walgreens inside uh, one of the local hospitals, and that was one that had, I don't remember if it was the actual or the generic, and again, I would have taken either uh, because I just didn't want to run out, but when I couldn't find any of them, and Liz had tried that one. Uh, the hospital's called Lankenall Hospital. It's one that, <laughs> that we're familiar with because that's where we took Jane when she first broke her ankle back in uh, freshman year of high school. No one around. She tried places in Delaware, all around, all around Delaware County, some places in Philadelphia. And, and when she kind of exhausted all of the uh, options for us, and, you know, with, with, uh, with drugstores, they're on every corner now. So to run out of options for that. We didn't know what to do. So we reached out to the doctor and the doctor prescribed something else, uh, something along the lines of prednisone, prednisil or something like that. 
And which is funny because I'm also on prednisone while I wait for my new psoriatic arthritis medicine. So uh, maybe I'm bulking up now. I don't know. I'm, uh, it makes me think back to the, uh, the time when uh, Lenny Dykstra for the Phillies went from a scrawny little guy to, you know, all bulked up. I, I'm not like that. <laughs> Sadly, I'm not like that. I mean, maybe I guess I have to work out once you do the steroids. Maybe that's my problem. But I, I got this new medicine. And uh, just to wrap that part of it up, I thought about it today while I was at my appointment waiting to get called back. One of the things that may be the difference between me seeing a little better or a little worse, I always thought was the psoriatic psoriatic arthritis medicine that I took two doses, the preliminary doses of back in June and July called Stellara. And I always blamed that for the sudden decrease in my vision. After the transplant in April, things started to get really good. And I was very excited. And I, I know I told you that I went to my one cornea appointment and, and I was very excited how well I could see the board. I could see the 20 over 350 line. And I had no trouble doing that. And, you know, then the doctor said, but you know, you're still blind. I said, yeah, I know that. But I, I said, I can see things better. And I don't care what the number is, as long as I could see the things better, that's all that matters. And uh, one of the things I always think about when I, uh, I could look at the bathroom wall and I could see the grout lines and I knew that, and I do that every morning now when I go into the bathroom, I look at the, I look at the wall at the tile part and I see if I could see the grout lines and I kind of know at that point if it's going to be a good day. And sometimes when I first go in, I don't see very well because my eyes are all crusty and whatever from sleeping and whatnot. So after I take the shower, then I look at the grout lines again, and that's sometimes when uh, it's more it's more noticeable and I can see them. Uh, but today when I was at the doctor, I was thinking, I wonder if the change from the Durazol to the generic maybe had something to do with my sight being a little bit off. And when I say a little bit off, it went from being able to read some of the letters on the board to counting fingers at three or four feet away. And today when the girl put up the letters, actually when I sat down in the chair, there was an A on the board. And and I said, oh, that's an A. And she hadn't even started that. And, she, and I said, that's right, right? And she said, yeah. And Liz agreed. And Liz was sitting right under the board and she was holding my cane. I said, all right, Liz, when you see what's up there, you tap the cane, how many characters in? So if it's an E, you would hit it five times. <laughs> and she says, I'm not helping you cheat. Uh, but I said, okay, we'll go to the next. What's, so I asked what that A was on, and it was on the 2400 line. And, and I said, well, you know, it's a hard angle. And as I mentioned before, hard angles are easier for me to see. A, L, V, things like that. If it were any of the letters like C or G or D or O, they all look the same to me. They all look like circles. Uh, and in fact... As we went through, I got to the 20, I don't know if it was the 20 over 300 line. It just looked like a black blob. And I don't remember what it was. I think it was a C, Liz told me. So when the doctor came in and I asked him, I said, could the drops have something to do with my visual acuity? And he said, it's possible. He said, every medicine affects everyone differently, which obviously we all know that. I took this Delara, it didn't do anything to help my psoriatic arthritis, and whether or my blame on it making my vision go a little uh, downhill, maybe it did, maybe it didn't, who knows. But maybe it's also the fact that the generic of the Durazol was uh, part of the 
uh, part of the problem. And now uh, I've been on this um, this other steroid, uh, prednisil or whatever it's called, uh, for four or five days now. Maybe going to that has helped it again. And he said it's possible. But anything, any subtle changes with me, as everybody has told me, all of the different specialists I see, could be a big difference. It, it could be, it means a lot. Um, again, when you, if you have 85% of your vision and you lose a couple of percent, you kind of don't notice it. But when you have 15% of your vision and you lose a percent or two, it's a big difference, obviously a bigger percentage difference. Um, so we'll see. We'll see how that goes. I'll be on this medicine for a while. It's a, <laughs> it's a huge bottle um, for eye drops. I mean, it's not like it's... Uh, <laughs> It's not like it's uh, like the size of a two-liter soda bottle or anything, uh, but it is a big bottle, which is a good transition into my next segment. And the next thing that I want to talk about is a gift Liz got me, which I absolutely love, and it's an advent calendar. And okay, I don't know too much about advent calendars. I'm Jewish. I, I didn't have any such things when I was growing up, but she found a place that had a hot sauce advent calendar. So I'm on, on today I'm recording this as I said on the 2nd of December. So I'm on day 2. The first one was a sriracha sauce. Today was a jalapeno hot sauce which was so good. I can't wait to use it for dinner and I to taste it. I just put a little on my finger uh, when I opened it up this morning. But it is just such a great idea. In my mind when if you have a food product to do an advent calendar where it's basically like you're giving people who like your products a whole sampling of everything that you have. Who knows what somebody might find in that. Uh, Jane wanted last year the Beaumont advent calendar. They're the jams and jellies that you see in the store. They've got the checkerboard tops and the jars are a... um, I don't want to say octagonal, but it's more than that. So Jane and Liz both got them because Jane, uh, Liz also likes them. So Liz each day, yesterday she had toast, and it was a very good one. She was really excited when she opened it because the day one for her was some sort of strawberry rhubarb something something. Today it was some sort of uh, orange grapefruit, and there was some other word in there that I, it's slipping my mind now that I didn't know what that was. Whatever that word was, I didn't know what it was. I don't know if it was a French word. Um, I, I'm guessing it wasn't because they called it grapefruit, not pamplemousse, which is grapefruit in French, uh, which is another word that I absolutely love. In fact, one year my fantasy team was called pamplemousse, uh, and it was just a big yellow circle was my logo. That was uh, quite a while ago. But these advent calendars for food, I, I just, I can't imagine if you're a food company, if you make food products, why you wouldn't do this to, to get stuff out there. And maybe try, maybe it's a way to try a new product. You have, I don't know, let's say you have 10 or 15 products and you come out with a couple of weird flavors that you want to try to see if it works. So you put them in this advent calendar. If people say, hey, you get a lot of calls or emails or whatever, for the such and such of jam, if it's bon or hot sauce, if it's this hot sauce thing, um, it's just it's just a great idea. I just think it's very cool. So that was my first advent calendar, this hot sauce advent calendar. It made me think of uh, California tortilla. They have this section of their 
the stores, uh, the restaurants. They call it the Wall of Flame. They, there's so many different things you can try. There's so many that I tried there that I loved, and we ended up buying them and, and using them and loving them. So it's, it's just a great idea, I think. I don't know if I'm getting any other gifts this holiday season, but this one is a great one. So it's a uh, – and I think – I don't remember if Liz got it at Lidl or uh, – Aldi or someplace like that. I don't remember. It's not a, whatever store she got it from, it's not a store brand thing. Uh, the company is based in Minnesota. Uh, the problem I'm going to have is if I don't finish a bottle each day, I don't, I, it's going to be almost impossible for me to tell me what the bottles are because they're small bottles. And I don't believe there are barcodes on them because I don't think they're meant for resale, these tiny bottles. So it's not like I could pull my phone out of my pocket and scan the barcode and have it tell me what it is. I'm hoping that, and and I haven't tried yet, but I'm hoping that I can have my phone at least read me the title of what the stuff is. Again, they're small bottles. So sometimes when they're small and round like that, like a prescription or something like that, it's hard for the phone to read it. So I haven't gotten there yet because I only have two bottles open. I'm going to try to finish a bottle a day. So today with with dinner, I will use the jalapeno hot sauce that was today's, um, you know, I'll use my, I'll use it as a dip for my veggies which I I do, I dip veggies every day. Today it will be in that. So my next topic is NFB of Pennsylvania related. And this was a weird thing. Earlier in the week, I got a text or a call about the nfbp.org website. And it was down. All the emails were down. And as I mentioned a couple of episodes ago, the fallout from Pittsburgh is is still being felt, and we're all scrambling. So when none of us could get emails with the email aliases or forwarders or whatever you want to call them, nobody was getting email. The website is down. We couldn't get into the account. And the DreamHost account where it's where everything is hosted. And so we didn't know if there was some shenanigans going on with the people that had left the organization. And I, I really didn't think it was. And, and I said this to the person who's the president. I said, I don't think, I don't think it's, that's what's going on here. Uh, but people weren't getting called back from DreamHost. So I reached out via Twitter. That's always my go-to. If, you, if you're on Twitter and you have a problem with a company like any, or you need some support, try Twitter. Most of the places... Um, especially a tech company, a hosting company, has support on Twitter uh, that you can communicate with. And maybe you don't know that they have support. You can just go to their main Twitter feed and tweet them at their main Twitter feed. And that's what I did. And somebody got back to me and told me, gave me, told me there was an outage, which we kind of found out after I placed the, uh, sent the first tweet. And then told me what to do to switch from the person whose name the account was in to somebody else's name and email address. The problem that we were having, and I couldn't change the username. I was going to change the password when I first went into the account a couple of weeks ago. But that person's email is the email for the DreamHost account. Which So if I change the password and he was doing the shenanigans, then 
it wouldn't matter because he would then still be able to get in. And again, I, I, I can't emphasize enough. That was not the issue. That was not the problem here. Uh, it was a massive outage by, I think just about every one, uh, of their sites on a few, uh, more than a few servers. So once that all got settled, uh, I said, what do we have to do to change the username and change all that? And they gave me some information. You have to go here. And, and then I had recommended to the president to, we should have a dedicated email account for all the tech stuff, maybe for the socials and all the tech stuff. By doing that, it's not going to somebody's private email. And that password for that email account can be changed more easily than changing the username entirely. And then once you change the password to the email account, then you can go in and change the password at any of the other tech accounts so you don't have to worry about that. And so we did that, and there's a new email address, and I'm not going to say it here because I, <laughs> I hope that there's, it's not inundated with spam uh, to begin with, but it basically is the organization and the word tech at wherever we have the email account at. And I, to me, it was a good idea because then this way, uh, it, it's, just, it's just a lot cleaner and a lot safer. And in the future, if somebody leaves... Again, you just change that email account password, and then all the other passwords can be changed after that. And it's a little bit easier to do. So that was one of the things that we were working on for a couple of days. And I wasn't completely following along via email because I was doing some things. And, and everything finally came to a head on Wednesday. And I'll talk about what I was doing Wednesday when things were going on. So I wasn't checking my email Wednesday afternoon and early Wednesday evening because I was, I was doing something. And then finally, everything got resolved. But it turns out that I thought I had dropped the ball. It turns out they evidently put the email in wrong for the new username. Somebody at DreamHost had transposed some letters or something like that. I don't know exactly what happened. But once that was fixed, I was able to go in and reset everything. And all's well that ends well, as the saying goes. And now I'm going to tell you what I was doing Wednesday afternoon, because it was very cool. I was at the Institute of Contemporary Art at the corner of the northwest corner of 36th and Sansom. And it was such a cool place to go to. The space was very cool. And I, I wonder if they ac ever actually have, when they have exhibits in there, if they ever have, if you could rent out the space for, a, for a, some sort of event. Because it was a very cool space. And I'll get into that in a minute. The exhibit was by an artist named Sissel Tulas. She's Norwegian. And it was mostly accessible. There was maybe one installation that wasn't really accessible. And I'll tell you about it in a minute. But it was all about smell. There wasn't anything on the wall that told you what you were smelling. There wasn't anything anywhere that basically said, hey, this is, what, this is what's happening right now. <laughs> so when you first walk into the institute, you can smell something going through the building. And, you know, I didn't think much of it until we got to this wall, this entrance wall. And there were all these little vials. And... Uh, Elizabeth opened up one of the vials, Elizabeth, who was leading our tour. She, and she had to smell it. And 
took some guesses of what it was. I thought it had a citrusy smell. Somebody else said something else, and it turns out what we were smelling was $380,000 in a liquid. And you actually got a vial of this stuff, like you would get a sample of, of a cologne if you go to the uh, department store or a drug store, and you hey, you have a sample? Yeah, here's a one-ounce sample. And that's what I came home with. I hope there's something on there that says what it is, because somebody's going to open it up and think, oh, here's a new cologne. <laughs> what do you call it? 380K? I don't know. Uh, it didn't smell terrible. It didn't smell great. Uh, but I just thought it was cool. And Elizabeth told us how the artist ended up getting these smells. Basically, she has this device that was getting the smells, and then she would go back to, she lives in Berlin now and has a, I don't know if you call it a studio, a uh, workshop. I, I don't know what you do. She has a machine that synthesizes the smells. So most of the smells in the place were synthesized. There was one that was not, and I'll tell you that in a second. But she told us about this, about how she did it. And in doing so, some of the smells, like the smell of money, some of them were better than that, smelled good, some not so much. So after we walked past this wall uh, with all these vials that anybody that visits the exhibit or exhibition uh, can get one, to, get one to go. So you can go in and pick up your 380K um, by, by going to the Institute of Contemporary Art at 36th and Sansom on the northwest corner. Uh, right in the heart of University City, very close to Penn, or actually on Penn's campus, I guess. Uh, and it was funny that Elizabeth told us that a lot of folks from Penn don't go in there. Uh, what I found really funny is a lot of professors from Swarthmore send their students there to do certain things, depending on who's exhibiting and, and whatnot. So I, I thought that was interesting, obviously, because I came from Swarthmore, just uh, less than a mile away from Swarthmore College. So, so that was kind of cool. But when after you pass this wall of these vials, there were these, looked like donuts on the floor, giant donuts or tires that were made out of cement. And within the center was a tube coming out of the ceiling, a metal tube. And so you could kind of get close and you'd put your hand under and just kind of waft the smell towards your nose. And the first one I went to, and again, there were three of them, and the donuts were different sizes. And the first one to me reminded me of a candle Jane burned that she loved. It was a combination of tobacco and vanilla, and she thought it was the greatest. And it did smell good. She used to, uh, when we lived in the condo, she would she would light it there. Uh, we haven't, because of Ziggy, we haven't brought any candles out um, afraid that some of them might not be, <laughs> be be okay for him to him to breathe in. Uh, and then we got to the next one, and it, it smelled similar, but not the same. And after we smelled that, um, Trish Maunder, whose class was the reason we were at this exhibit, because her students were seeing how blind and visually impaired folks would go through the exhibit and how they could learn in the future how to help blind and visually impaired folks go through museums and uh, different attractions and exhibits and things like that. So Trish asked, what do, you, what do you think the smell is? And this second one smelled much more of vanilla than the first one. And it 
and and she's like, oh, that's good. You have a you have a dog's nose. And I said, no, I really don't. But um, it was funny to and and then the third one uh, we smelled also very similar, but a little bit different. Uh, so the first one was called vanillin, which is a synthetic vanilla. That's what the first one was. The second one was a organic Madagascar vanilla. So that one is the only smell in the whole exhibit that wasn't synthesized by the artist. It was actually organic vanilla. And then the third one was vanilla extract. And, you know, so we talked about that for a bit. What does it remind you of? And again, I mentioned how the first one especially reminded me of Jane burning those candles in the condo. It was very cool. So as you move on, the next exhibit that we came to was the one that wasn't accessible. There were 365 glass balls on the floor. Now, I couldn't really see them other than just look like, I don't know what it looked like to me, but there were no barriers to stop you from going. So if if I were to go in on my own, I wouldn't have known to stop because the only thing, how they had it marked off, they had some tape on the floor, which it was very subtle as I was sweeping towards it, as I was going towards it. After somebody told me there was tape there, I did feel a little bit of a difference, but it was very difficult to pick up. In these glass balls, sealed in these glass balls, was a breath from a different day from the artist. She did this th- for one year and then put each day's breath into these glass balls. And I'm told they looked kind of more like bubbles, not not balls. Uh, but for all intents and purposes, they were glass balls. Uh, again, I can't say too much about them because I, I just, I didn't see them. I couldn't see them. And now I did shoot some video at this exhibit or whatever you want to call this section uh, because Elizabeth from uh, ICA was talking about it. So that's coming up in just listen, but I'm wondering if I post the video, maybe maybe you'll be able to see what it's like. I again, I couldn't really tell what I was looking at even when I was recording her, and I wasn't worried about the images. I was worried more about the audio, and the place. Like I said, is this very cool place? And then we also found out that every time there's a new exhibition in there, the artist dictates how the place is going to be set up. So I was telling you about those giant cement donuts that were on the floors around the on the floor around the vanilla i'm going to come in with a either a sledgehammer or a jackhammer and they're going to break that up so everything in there it just it, everything gets redone there was another section where there were kind of reminded me of the podiums at the olympics where they have you know uh, the different levels of podiums for the you know gold silver bronze there were five though in this one but they were also made out of cement now there was some sort of metal thing under both the donuts and these these metal platform or these cement platforms that the cement was poured on so it it's not like it was you know solid cement at either of them but still everything about it everything was gets redone with every with every new artist exhibition which i thought was very cool um and again it was a very cool site we then went to something that made me a little nervous and it's not that it wasn't accessible but when I was a kid, my mom would love to go shop in one of the department stores in their China department. And I was always terrified, first of all, because I couldn't see very well. And I was afraid I'm going to knock something over and break it. 
So I would follow her, keep my arms almost firmly pressed along my legs so that I, I didn't, I didn't mistakenly hit something that might be sticking out a little bit. And it just always stressed me out. Well, the, there was a column in the middle of the floor near where the glass balls were that had these glass beakers with different smells and whatnot in them. And there was a, at the top of the beakers, there was a fan that was blowing the scent up. So you could, again, take your hand and go above it and kind of waft it towards your nose. But again, because I couldn't see the beakers very well, I was afraid I was going to knock them over. And um, so finally, Elizabeth helped me out through that and said, okay, it's right around your head level or it's a little lower. Um, And so that was the only part that was difficult for me. Again, some of the smells were good, some not so good. The whole back wall of the uh, gallery had very low to the floor. And we later found out that this was because it was at dog height and at different dog height. You know, one was Ziggy and one might have been, um, I think pugs are smaller. So one would have been, you know, for the Buckeye hairless pugs. Uh, some were a little bit taller than what Ziggy would have been. Some of the smells were okay. Most were not good. And I, I couldn't really tell. And there was nothing around that could tell you, hey, this is what this is. You kind of had to guess. And some of it smelled like almost like roadway or, um, and again, some were worse. <laughs> so then we get to those platforms where they had both some stones and uh, 3D printed things that had smells infused in them. Both had smells infused. Some, like I said, the stones, um, I don't know if they were some sort of, is it pumice? Some sort of stone like that. They had the smell. It was easier to smell the smell in those than the the 3D printed things. Um, and some of those smelled really good. One of them smelled fruity. Uh, and Trish had asked me, what does this smell like to you? And I said, it smells fruity. And she started laughing because a couple others said it smelled like Fruit Loops. And I, I got that, it, you know, when she said that, but it did smell fruity. Some smelled like, uh, if you've ever used, again, because I have psoriasis, I used to use a shampoo called tea gel, which was some sort of pine tar or something like that. Um, and one, one of the things smelled like that. And a lot of these things were taken from places all around the world. And she went there, and I don't know how long, I don't remember how long she uh, extracted the smell from the air, uh, but she would put a date when the smell was taken. And some smelled, again, some smelled really good. This section, I don't remember smelling anything terrible. And then we got to the stairs to go to the second level, <laughs> And on the way to the second level, there's a ramp that on one side of the wall, on, on at the first set, section of the ramp, on the right side of the wall, you touched the wall and your heat activated a smell that was painted on the wall. And each little section, it wasn't marked that this section is this smell and this section. I mean, it was all different, but it was all painted on. And I smelled one thing, and it didn't smell great, but it wasn't horrible. And Lisa, who was in front of me, said, oh, this one smells like soap. <laughs> and then we rounded the corner, did the, did the 180 to go up and continue on the ramp. And now the, this, the wall of fear, as it was called, was on our left-hand side. And I smelled something that was just so gross. <laughs> and I, I thought, I don't know that I want to smell anything more. And then Elizabeth told us what the wall of fear is. It was body odor. 
And Lisa said, well, how come that one smelled like soap back there? I said, well, maybe that guy had just gotten out of the shower or something. Uh, some of it was gross. Some of it was just okay. None of it was great. I, did, I never found the spot that uh, Lisa smelled. So I, I, couldn't, I couldn't tell you what that is. When we got to the second level, there were a couple of rooms. One that I couldn't really get much out of. There was these things on the floor that had like these flickering lights and it was supposed to signify outdoors, and it was supposed to smell like dirt. At this point, I, I think I was just overwhelmed, and I couldn't really smell much. Um, but that was there, and we had to have some folks help us through that so we didn't sweep the, the uh, exhibit away or the uh, display away. Uh, then we went to, uh, and th- this I thought was cool, then we went to this next room where it had some smells, and it had these fans and all these fans were hooked up to like weather sensors back in Oslo. So depending on how the wind was blowing and if it was blowing from a certain way, what the smell was, um, and it was just very cool. And then there was, a, there was a monitor that had the section of, it was right near some sort of bay. I don't remember the bay or, or you know, the waterfront or whatever it was uh, that you could go look at. And so it was in real time. And um, that was very cool to me. And at the time we were there, it was 33 degrees in Oslo. I, I checked on my phone, and, and the winds were, I, I want to say they were from the north at three miles an hour, because some fans weren't even blowing. So that was very cool. It was just a lot of fun. And, and I, I was really happy to do it. Again, I love doing stuff like this, and, and hopefully uh, Trish will uh, get the institute to do more things uh, for blind and visually impaired folks to go through and be able to enjoy it. Uh, and whatnot. The last thing that I didn't smell, I couldn't smell it. I, I had to go to the bathroom. And so I went in and, and Elizabeth told me, don't, don't use the soap in the middle. That is, and I, I couldn't hear what she said the soap was supposed to smell like, but they had two soap dispensers that are normally in the, uh, the men's room. And then in the middle between these two on the wall was a soap dish with a bar of soap on it. And she said, don't use the soap. And again, I don't remember what the, <laughs> what the smell was, but evidently it wasn't good. I, I, don't, I don't know if it was supposed to be uh, something from a bar. I don't remember exactly what it was. Uh, but I didn't use that. I used regular soap. And uh, whatever their soap was, it smelled great. And maybe it was because I smelled all those other, some of those smells that weren't so great um, on the wall of fear. Uh, but that was the day. The one thing that I was kind of disappointed in, it was a rainy day here on Wednesday. And I thought about taking SEPTA because it's not far from the Penn Medicine Station, which is where I go when I go to the Penn Museum for the Keystone Chapter meetings. But because it was raining, I thought, you know, I'm going to take an Uber. And Liz said, well, maybe I'll take you. And I said, okay, well, let's see how it is when it's when it's time to leave. And um, she was laying down. I woke her up from the nap her nap. And I said, you know, I'm just going to take an Uber because it's rush hour. We're probably not going to run anything, run into traffic going in, but coming out, it might take you a while. So I just called and I I rode in on an Uber and then got an Uber to come home. And again, the sad thing was right at the corner of 36th and Sansom is a trolley stop. And I don't know why it's called a trolley stop because you have to go downstairs. To me, that's a subway. And I know that once it comes above ground, when it's going to its main part of the route. Uh, It looks like a trolley, but it's basically an underground trolley for a good chunk of it. And Lisa was going down the stairs. I said, oh, is that where you're going to get on? She's like, yeah, you could go right to 30th Street if you want. And I was a little hesitant 
to do that for a couple of reasons. One, I didn't know how soon the trolley was going to come. And I know I only had about 15 or 20 minutes before my train was going to come. And I didn't want to miss that train because at that point of the night, it was right around quarter to seven, the trains only run every hour. So I could get on that train to waste all that time going to 30th Street and then miss the train, meaning get on the trolley and go to the train. If I missed the train, then I'd still have to get an Uber. And then who knows what time I'll get home. I was hungry. And so I decided to just order an Uber there. And I took that home. And, and as I was telling Elizabeth, it's kind of like cheating to me when I take an Uber right to the door because there's no challenge. Now, I did get out of the Uber on the way in and I stepped in this giant puddle. So, okay, maybe that was the challenge to miss that puddle. But it's not like if I took the train in on my own, I'd have to find my own way. And it's more of, I don't want to say more of an adventure, but it's more challenging and more of a confidence builder. When you get out of the car and you're right at the corner, it's, you know, other than finding the right door to go in, there's not much to it. And I know some people are nervous to travel on their own, but if you're traveling with Uber, you're in pretty good shape because you're usually let off right in front, unless they let you off across the street or something like that, which happened to me a couple of times in New York when I was there a few weeks ago. But it was a lot of fun going to this, and and I appreciate it. Elizabeth stood outside with me in the windy, at this point it wasn't raining, in the windy, and it was there was a wind chill factor. I was freezing by the time I got in the Uber. And I kept telling her, I said, you can go in. I, I appreciate you standing here. But, And we were talking. We were talking about the gallery. We were talking about Ziggy. And we were talking about some other things. And it was nice to talk with her. And again, it was a very cool place. So I'm looking forward to going back there once I get the other thing that I've been talking a little bit about up and running. That's certainly a place I'll go. So again, it's the Institute of Contemporary Art in University City in Philadelphia, 36th and Sansom, 36th and Sansom is what he said. (laughs) And there's no fee to enter. So check it out. Uh, It doesn't take a long time to go through. If you you allow for an hour or two, you're good to go. And again, it's kind of, some of the stuff is weird. Obviously, the smell stuff is weird. And Sissel has also displayed at MoMA in New York, Museum of Modern Art, as well as the Tate Modern Museum in London. Tate Modern was a place that we went to when Jane was there studying abroad five years ago. We all went over, when I say we all, Liz, Jacob, and I went over to kind of spend a week going around London. Jacob ended up going to northeastern England to connecting with a friend over there, but he was with us to go to Tate Modern. What an interesting place that was. Some of it was a little weird. All right, a lot of it was a little weird. We walked into one place, and I said to Jane, it was basically a pile of stuff on the floor in the middle of the room. I said, Jane, look, this is your room. This looks just like your room, a whole bunch of junk on the floor in the middle. I said, I didn't realize I was looking at a work of art every time I walked in there. And Elizabeth and I kind of talked about Tate Modern before everything got started uh, with, with this stuff. So it's just interesting stuff. Uh, again, Institute of Contemporary Art in Philadelphia. The Sissel exhibit goes until the 30th of December. Just be ready because some of the smells are not great. Some are not great. Not going to lie. <laughs> So uh, I'll have, in a couple of seconds, I'll have, uh, in Just Listen, I'll have a couple of clips from that. But it was a lot of fun. And I, I again, I, I appreciate that uh, Trish and Catherine included me on that because I did enjoy it. And it was a nice afternoon slash evening by the time I got done. Before we get to Just Listen, I do want to mention White Canes Connect. And episode 53 just dropped. And that's with Shirley Scott. Shirley was a first-time state convention attendee. 
And so we get her take on everything, and she talks a little bit about her blindness journey, and she loves making candy, which this part was cool, and I loved listening to this part as I was editing it, because she makes candy, and we have an auction every year at the state convention. And I said, oh, it sounds like we have uh, something that we're going to have up for auction next year at the convention, assuming she goes to the one in Harrisburg. She makes Buckeyes, which are kind of like Reese's peanut butter cups, except they're more of a ball. And she talked about some other things, caramels and things like that that she makes. So I'm hoping that Shirley makes it to next year's convention and she brings some of her homemade candy because uh, that would be great. And it also gave me an idea. Uh, Liz loves to make peanut brittle. And when our parents were alive... Every Father's Day, she made peanut brittle for my dad and her dad. And then my mom wanted some, and then she would make some for my mom, and then some for her mom. And the peanut brittle is great. I mean, it is outstanding. So maybe for next year, maybe she's going to make a couple of batches of of the peanut brittle, which we can put in some sort of decorative, um, I don't want to say bucket, but decorative (laughs) jar or something, and uh, have that auction off, because it is good. I mean, it's... It's very good. So so I'm looking forward to that. But again, that's episode 53 of White Canes Connect. You can find it on Apple and Spotify and Odyssey and YouTube even if you search White Canes Connect there. I know I keep, this is a broken record. I'm, I'm going to try and get that website done. So you can just go over there if you want to. As far as websites go, I've done some more work on Flight for Sight. I'm hoping to have that up shortly. Switching hosts, as I think I talked about an episode or two ago, having some trouble with the current hosts that I've had for 18 years, uh, that we've been a reseller for for 18 years. And we're going to move away from HostGator and move to SiteGround. Flight for Sight will probably be the first website on there from all the sites that we host. So that brings us to Just Listen. Here's a couple of clips of Elizabeth and others talking about some of the things that we are looking at. So here it is. Just listen. Glass sort of spheres, but they're not perfect spheres. They almost kind of look like balloons that have been slightly deflated. Um, or, for instance, if you're blowing bubbles, it kind of has this like unusual but it's glass yeah and there's 365 of them okay unless some of them got broken 365 and it's called uh, still alive and it was made in 2020 as i was recording that at the uh, Institute, I thought I really have to use that other recorder because I've just recorded, like I had mentioned earlier. It's just I shot video and I pulled the audio off for that. So at some point, I hope to have that, but it, not this week, obviously. So that is all I have for episode 208 of I Can't See You. I really do appreciate you listening to this episode. Remember, if you're shopping at Amazon this holiday season, I can't see you.com slash Amazon. You'll go right to the amazon.com homepage. It doesn't cost you anything to do that. And I do earn a small commission. Again, that's I can't see you.com slash Amazon. Thank you for that. I would love to hear from you. So please reach out via phone. You can call 646-926-6350. You have up to three minutes. Please leave your questions, comments, show ideas, reviews, what you love, what you hate, anything. Again, 646-926-6350. You can also reach out via email, I can't see you podcast at gmail.com. And show notes are available, as always, over on the website, I can't see you.com slash 208. I can't see you.com slash 208. Remember, 
I Can't See You sounds like a whole sentence, but it's only seven characters long. I-C-A-N-T-C-U dot com slash 208. I really do appreciate you listening to this episode and bearing with me through my funny voice. I hope I'm not getting another cold. Thank you so much for listening. Be well, stay safe, and I will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to the I Can't See You podcast with David. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. And don't forget to share the podcast with your friends.